Welcome to the third Second Victim podcast. Let's talk about supporting health professionals when something goes wrong. This podcast is part of the ANS Training School and I'm Sofia Garrapaiva, the Training School Coordinator. Today we will talk with Reinhard Stramets. Dr. Stramets is an anesthesiologist specialized in quality of management, clinical risk management and economist. Reinhard Stramets is General Secretary of German Coalition for Patient Safety and Vice Chair of the European Researchers Network working on second victim, the Ernst Action. Dr. Stramets is also Professor for Patient Safety in Wiesbaden Business School. So, Dr. Reinhard Stramets, it's a great pleasure to have you in our podcast. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sofia, for having me here today. So, thank you so much for being in this podcast. And as you know, our podcast is part of the Ernst Training School. And I can give you today, and I would like to start our podcast talking about a first-hand information that I want to share also with the public that is listening us, a face-to-face -face meeting that will happen uh, in October 2022 in Croatia. So, this is our first-hand information. Uh, I hope that you at home um, could see some more information in our website. We have a Ernst uh, website available in the internet. You can go and also we have a description in, the, in our podcast. You can see in the description below this podcast uh, all the information about our website. And you can see uh, some news about the training school and also other activities of the Ernst Action. And also, I want to make a first-hand invitation, but please don't feel the pressure, that um, also uh, this training school will have some trainers. So it will be a great pleasure also for us to have Dr. Heinacht uh, in our training school as a trainer, but please don't feel the pressure. Uh, I'm just asking you uh, that it will be so nice to have you in our training school. Uh, and um, yeah, so, so this is our first opening uh, in our podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I would be really, really happy to, to join the training school in Croatia um, this autumn. So the next autumn. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so talking about uh, the training school, the target population is younger generation of health professionals. And in our podcast, we will talk today about the second victim phenomenon in younger generation of healthcare providers and also the support strategies for helping uh, them in health organizations. So Dr. Reinhardt uh, recently published, uh, published a study focused on second victim phenomenon in younger generation, namely in German uh, physicians in the internal medicine talking about prevalence of second victims, risk factors, and support strategies. And Dr. Stramets, uh, as a health care provider, uh, anesthesiologist, clinical risk management, um, in the, working in the clinical risk management, academic and decision maker, 
can you tell me um, why it's so important to study second victim phenomenon in younger generation of healthcare providers? Yeah, I'd love to. It's simply uh, an important issue because a lot of uh, people, healthcare workers, become uh, second victim traumatized during uh, the basic training in their medical career. There are even medical students who can become second victims. And our research uh, suggests that six out of 10 young internists being still in uh, specialization training uh, have already become a second victim um, during their basic medical training. So although only one in 10 knows the phenomenon itself, the term second victim, a lot of young healthcare workers are already traumatized by the second victim phenomenon. And as they may have a lack of coping strategies, they don't have uh, strong social networks among the uh, healthcare facilities like the older ones maybe have, um, they can also be severely affected by this traumatization, um, causing them to have a severe uh, psychological impact on this phenomenon as well. So they are at a high risk of becoming second victim phenomenon. And um, there is a strong hypothesis that they don't have the resources already built up to cope with that in an adequate way. So I think there are a special vulnerable group of healthcare workers we have to focus on. So we can think that maybe they are more exposed than other uh, peers um, in healthcare organizations because of that. Is that right? Yes, uh, and also um, they have they have more contact with the patient. Uh, they have more opportunities to to get traumatized. Also, mm, there might be the theory that uh, due to the lack of knowledge and experience, they might be also very prone to to do some mistakes during their medical career to learn from their mistakes. Um, so I think they they are at a special risk of becoming traumatized, and they need this kind of psychological. Uh, personal protection equipment, um, not to get traumatized uh, too much, maybe not at all, and also that they can get adequate help if they uh, have become traumatized as a second victim. So sometimes they might be seen to be unfit for the job by their peers because they say, if you can st cannot stand the pressure, um, you shouldn't be there. But it's not about um, being being inadequate for the profession, but just to 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 be unprepared for these kind of events. So I think the older ones, they all got to know such events, uh, at least from some other peers. So they have the experience that this frequently happens, that this is kind of normal, and that sooner or later they may be also affected. But I think the younger ones may also be surprised uh, on the impact more than the, the more experienced ones. So they are a special vulnerable group we have to, to, to pay attention uh, because um, if they get traumatized and they um, have some dysfunctional coping strategies, um, the whole medical career, the whole med professional career might develop in, in the wrong way. Um, so um, that's why we should focus uh, on the second victim phenomenon also during the basic medical training um, and the continuous medical education of all healthcare workers, not only the doctors, of course. Thank you so much for this introduction uh, of this uh, important topic that we will talk today. 
And I will now remember Amelia's story. This story is also available in Ernst's website, so you can see more detailed uh, information about and also a video explaining all this story. But I will just give a short introduction uh, to, to also talk about this case. So Amelia was a student that was vaccinated against tuberculosis for going to Erasmus. A vaccine that is not mandatory and often administered. And Amelia was vaccinated by a nurse that was on her first contract and just had two days of experience at health center. And the experience, of course, of her studies. And hours after Amelia uh, having uh, this uh, vaccine, she had severe pain vomiting, fever, and in the final, she had to, to go to uh, immediate uh, surgery and did chemoprophylaxis uh, uh, treatment during six months. And of course, um, Amelia was a, a patient that was victim of uh, adverse event, that she, uh, the, the vaccine was administered 10 times more than was expected because the, the nurse administered the entire vial uh, in the container of uh, the, the vaccine, and it wasn't supposed uh, to happen like this. And, but now, talking about this nurse, the nurse that uh, just arrived to the health center, that was starting her career, and this happened. So this wasn't a protocol that uh, was very often used, because it wasn't a vaccine that was often administered. And when we talk about this nurse that was just starting her career, what do you think that are the risk factors that these, these nurse uh, can have probably serious consequences, like you, you were saying before, in her um, career, in her personal life, uh, physical consequences in a long term? So can you please explain us a little bit more about what are these risk factors, what uh, could happen to this uh, young uh, nurse? Yeah, so we also did some research on, on nurses about the potential risk factors in Germany during the COVID-19 pandemic, while the research for the doctors was done before. So um, I think there are some five basic psychological personal traits like openness, for example, or neuroticism, um, who determine how we react on some situations. And um, it's, uh, it's common understanding that if you have a high sense of openness, for example, you are not so likely to be affected by anything that happens to you. While where you have a high neuroticism score, um, like you are easily afraid, um, not self-confident so much, um, then you are also affected very heavily by the same psychological stressor. So, and we found out that uh, those nurses with a high neuroticism uh, value um, are more likely to be affected that those who stay longer in the profession are more likely to have a severe cause of the traumatization. And another thing that's very important, it's not only about the risk factors of the individual, but also, um, um, in line with other evidence that is, was generated from huge support programs in the United States. The sooner you get help, 
And um, um, the, the more you get help from your colleagues and peers, the more understanding you have, the more they look after you and cover you and uh, maybe refer you to some psychological support unit if necessary. The more this happens, the more uh, is the chance that you will, will go through all these traumatization well, that you learn, that you might even grow from this traumatization. But if you go and get this help very fast, and maybe if you get some insults or you have the fear of getting punished for something you something bad that happened that you didn't want to, to, to happen at all, um, then you could be easily traumatized. And we know that two out of three uh, nurses and doctors uh, who were severely second victim traumatized uh, developed dysfunctional mechanisms like isolation, like self-guilt, like lowered self-esteem, and also a high risk, uh, a fear of of making other mistakes. And if you are not self-confident and if you have the fear that you do another mistake, then of course the likelihood of doing mistakes is much higher. So it's not only about the, the person suffering in silence, it's also about a lot of future patients who might get harmed due to the second victim traumatization. So health worker safety is patient safety and vice versa. And that's why it's also important from the point of future patient safety to focus on the second victim phenomenon because we pretty much know what can happen. It can lead even to uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, to burnout, to turnover of your profession. So there are people working in the healthcare sector for 10 years, for 20 years, very successful, uh, very honored, honorable people uh, who have to quit their job because they are so severely traumatized from one day to the other. Um, so um, it's, it's also a very, very big health threat for the health worker itself. It, it might even in the very, very worst case of all lead to the suicide of the healthcare worker. So um, if, the, if somebody is listening to this right now who's in trouble, please be aware and reminded that there is good help available to recover, to fully recover from such incidents. So everybody who is in need for getting help please refer to this help. And if you get some psychological first aid, like we have the, the first aid if you are bleeding or you have cardiac arrest, if you get some psychological first aid, these consequences can be covered. And you, there's a very, very good chance that you fully recover from whatever you suffer right now. So the sooner you get the help, um, the better it is. So I think one of the biggest risk factors does not lie within ourselves, but lies within the system that the system is not prepared to offer this quick response, this quick help. And the, the understanding and the peer support of your peers who, who, who um, 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 give you a talk, who have an ear, who, who have an eye on you just to see whether uh, you can cope with some situation or not, um, and uh, who are there for you if you need help as well. Like, like we are trained to help the patients, so we always trained to be there for the patients, but we also need somebody who's there for us if we are in need. And it's very, very difficult to admit, even if you are a younger healthcare worker, to admit that there will be some situation where you need help as well, when you are not the, the helper, but the person in need. Um, and if we can, can establish such a culture that, that it's normal 
to need support from your colleagues, from maybe some, some psychological specialists, then I think we can create a culture of safety where everyone can feel safe, even if such traumatizations will happen from time to time, because there will always be some tough situations in medicine. We cannot prevent them all, but we can make resilient young healthcare workers who stay confident and healthy in their job and who can learn to cope with those rough situations that will sooner or later occur in their professional life. Thank you so much for bringing uh, all this uh, information and thoughts and also saying that this is a problem, of course, that is from every uh, healthcare professional that may one day be involved or at this moment is uh, involved in the incident or a colleague maybe is involved in an incident. So this is a, a problem that is very present. Uh, in uh, healthcare organizations. And thank you so much because we are today, we are talking about the younger generation, but this can happen not just to the youngest ones. This can happen to all uh, healthcare providers. So thank you so much for, for your words, for, for this, um, this sharing. And now that you, you were saying that as soon as possible, that healthcare providers can have this uh, support uh, and have these support uh, tools and programs and look for someone to talk and to contact. And now that we are talking about this period uh, of time that people would like to have the support, so Can you tell us a little bit more what health professionals need and what are their perceptions about this need of uh, recovery time? Yeah, of course. So, of course, there's there's some research, uh, uh, a strong body of evidence uh, um, all across the world right now, because a lot of healthcare workers were asked, what do you think is useful if you get traumatized or what uh, was your wish uh, to, to get support of? Uh, when you were traumatized. And um, most of them had, had, had uh, expressed that they really need um, the, the, the possibility to talk about this incident to, and also to, to get over this incident by understanding what has happened. So let's say if there's a medical mistake that leads to second victim traumatization, to understand how this mistake uh, happened um, to understand how this systematic deficits led also to this incident and how to, to, to be prepared for the next time that no one will do this, hopefully no one will do this mistake again by uh, implementing systemic safety measures um, to prevent this error from happening again. So um, in the first sight, you might think that those second victims would, would be happy if you don't talk about the incident, if you just say, well, let's forget about all this. But they don't want to forget about this. They want to know what happened and they, in order to understand this, in order to get over this. So you really have to, to deal with the circumstances that led to the second victim traumatization, for example, by doing a morbidity and mortality conference uh, when something uh, badly happened, or to do a root cause analysis, for example just to get to know what happens. So the possibility to talk, also to participate uh, in, in doing things better for continuous improvement, and also to understand what has happened are important key issues uh, in the support for the second victims. Um, 
interestingly, if you ask somebody who's not traumatized what could be useful, they underestimate the help of psychosocial support and also they underestimate the help of regular supervision sessions, for example, um, that help teams who are heavily under, under stress, under pressure, to better cope with the situation. So in, in Germany, for example, um, there are some intensive care units who have implemented uh, such kind of peer support, such kind of supervision, where once a week or uh, once in, in two weeks, they, they have one hour just to talk about their feelings and their situation. So it's it's an hour for them, not for the patient, in order to be to be a better nurse or a better doctor afterwards, again, for the patient. To, so to invest some time in, 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 in dealing with themselves and what they're doing and what they're feeling about this. So there are some support strategies and I think the, 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 the most valuable support strategy they need really is a, a connected and a linked peer support system. So there might be some psychological experts in the, in the organizations who can help, who can ask for help or how can be called like a hotline but also to implement a peer support pro program where there are some, some peers that are sensitive to what can happen and also some kind of role models who are able to say, well, don't worry, you are not the worst nurse or the worst doctor in the world. I have made some mistakes too. This is part of our profession. Um, and um, you are only then a bad nurse or a bad doctor if you don't learn from your mistakes. So uh, also to say them that this is normal because the loss of self-confidence is a very, very big problem, especially among younger healthcare workers who say, well, nobody else could have done this mistake. I'm so dumb, I'm so, I'm so stupid, um, which is not true because everybody could have done this. And uh, most of the times it was the wrong person being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but it's nothing to do with the personal skills of the person. So to, to, to strengthen the self-confidence and to know that if something happens to me like this sometime, I have some colleagues who will support me. I will get some support strategies. Of course, I, I try to avoid these mistakes and these situations wherever I can, no doubt about this. But if this ever happens to me, I can be sure that I can get help, that I can get the understanding of my colleagues and I think this is also something that makes you a little bit more self-confident. And if you are self-confident on purpose and you have the right to be self-confident, you are also a better nurse or a better doctor because you make less mistakes if you're self-confident. Yes. And now that we are talking about the second victim uh, support strategies, like you told before, peer support programs, talk with uh, uh, someone, a model uh, that has a role model and can say, okay, this, this can happen, this is normal, it's already happened to me. So the opportunity to talk uh, to, to other peers. Uh, so can you tell me what are the benefits of this support? So we are talking that it's important, but in younger generation, why it's so important to have these supports and how it's so important to, to, to have these tools for giving to the younger generation. Uh, would this decrease the depression symptoms in the future? Would this, of course, as you told before, increase uh, the, the confidence? And also, uh, would they be prepared for uh, future uh, adverse events? 
Yes, of course, there would be. So do, uh, investing in these uh, systems and these support strategies um, is a big investment in the personal health uh, and uh, confidentially and also um, the satisfaction, the work satisfaction um, the, the healthcare workers have. So it's on the, the individual basis, it's, it's a clear win-win situation, but also you have to consider this on a systemic health system basis. So what we are facing right now, not only during the COVID-19 pandemic, but also concerning the demographic change we all face in Europe is that we desperately need healthcare workers. We desperately need doctors, nurses, and we don't need them just for one or two or three or five years to, to drop out the system uh, disillusioned and burned out, but we need them to work there sustainable for years and decades. So um, if we train a nurse or a doctor who has to drop out of his profession due to, um, to, to psychological distressors that are not coped and that are not addressed, then it's also very, very bad for our healthcare system, for sustainability of our healthcare system. So we really have to see that this is an investment in our, our future because sooner or later we all will, will be patients in a, in a hospital or in the general practice. And if there are no more doctors and no more nurses and no more other healthcare workers doing their job every day on a confident and safe basis, then the whole healthcare system has a real problem. So I think, and I'm very happy that the WHO also recognized this problem as one of the seven big issues in patient safety for the next decade that investing in psychological health worker safety and health worker safety at all, but especially in psychological health worker safety is a huge investment for the patients, for the healthcare organizations and the healthcare systems as, as well. So it's a win, 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 win situation, to be honest. Um, so we cannot afford not to invest these resources into the system because I, I, I sometimes compare this to a professional football player. Just imagine a professional football player without a, a physiotherapist, for example. So if he gets injured, it's his problem. I don't care about him. You wouldn't say this, and um, you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, um, build a, a strong football team without uh, some psychotherapists, some physiotherapists, and some other people who who do everything um, for for this person that he or she can perform on a professional level. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of resources do we need to make these high-performance care we have to do every day? And I think some psychological support should be mandatory sooner or later, should be integral part of our culture in order to guarantee that our healthcare systems will sustainably work also in five and 10 and 20 years. Because if we don't do anything, there won't be enough people in the system left who care for us. So, uh, so to say, you can also say it's it's kind of selfish for for me um, to to look after uh, young professionals because sooner or later I'm the patient, and I also when I'm old I want some nurses and doctors who care for me on a professional basis. And if we don't do this right now, there won't be enough young people willing to do the job, willing to stay in this job for let's say 30 up to 35, 40 years. So this is why I think uh, we should really draw attention on this, not only on the individual basis, 
but also on the patient safety basis and the sustainability aspect of the whole healthcare systems. Thank you so much. Talking about health professionals uh, has a, a high performance, and it is. And when we, when uh, as you told before, when we talk about the the the, the sport uh, area, we we think, ah, no, but they, they need to do. They they are high performers, so and we need to to, to care about them and to to uh, the injuries need to to recover. Uh, very uh, easily and very uh, quickly and yeah but health professionals are also high performers so thank you so much uh, for for bringing uh, this to our conversation and why it's so important to care about and to give support and to to recover these health professionals when they have a kind of injury because it's it's something it's an incident that can really uh, injured and do harm in a psychological and physical way uh, to the health professionals. So thank you so much. And if I'm a leader of a health uh, care organization, so what is the importance of a leader uh, in, this, uh, in this area? So What can I do as a leader for helping these, um, these health uh, professionals, the clinical teams in supporting uh, the second victims? Yeah, so we, we should not underestimate leadership in this aspect because you can focus to create a leadership that is based on resilience, resilience of the whole healthcare organization you are leading, but also based on resilience of the healthcare team members that you have. So if you if you support to bring out a clear, a realistic, but also optimistic vision of what is possible, if you um, ensure that the people have the things they need to do their professional job on a high level basis, if you manage to give them the information they need in order also to avoid fear um, about the future and to reduce the fear uh, of the future, And if you focus on resilient leadership, if you also express gratitude, not only on the basis that, uh, okay, for, for the protocol, I also will express gratitude. But if you show this, if you, if you are a role model for this, and if you also create a culture that it is okay if somebody finds out something that is, is going wrong, to speak up for this, just to, to, to mention this and to say, well, I think we are on the wrong way right now. Should we possibly rethink whether this is good to do or not um, to speak up? Um, and that it is okay to express concerns um, when it's a patient safety or health worker safety issue. That, that uh, you are happy to do so. That you are invited to share your opinions and thoughts on how to improve patient safety, for example, and how to avoid mistakes. That this is okay. If you can create this as a leader, um, then you have a good chance to to have an impact on this. Of course, you need you, the, the people on the ground um, to do their job good and also to create a sustainable safety culture there. But um, um, in Germany, we have, a, we have a proverb, we say, if you want to clean the stairways, you better begin at the top of the stairways. Um, so I think it's, it's a lot about leadership and role modeling from the senior clinicians up to the, the chief executive officers to say, We are also humans. We don't want to expect you to be some roboters, 
robots, but we are we are some humans, and we also admit that you have the right to do one or two or the one or the other mistake because you are human. Please avoid to do severe mistakes, and if something happens and something goes wrong, please do everything you can to to uh, provide any harm to the patient and to be be uh, clear and honest about this and to speak up if something bad happens and that can be prevented. Um, because if you look at at big uh, catastrophes in the modern history, most of the catastrophes could have been prevented minutes or even seconds before the catastrophe took place. But those who were able to do so had no right or no permission or no possibility to speak up. So I think to say, I am a le former leader of an organization or of a unit, but if you find something out that is strange to you, please question also me. Please question what you are, what I am doing. Uh, it's not an offense to me, but a sign of professionalism to admit I, as a leader, I'm also not perfect. I'm also a human being. And if I make a mistake, please help me to avoid this by speaking by speaking up. So these are some, some things uh, the leaders have to focus on, not only the nursing and the, the medical leaders, but every leader in, in, in a healthcare organization who can take his part or her part um, to provide safety um, and uh, to um, provide uh, the, the circumstances for a resilient healthcare organization. So you should not underestimate this. Um, and there are some, some good recommendations also made how to be a resilient leader and how to create resilience. So health resilience engineering as a structured process in order to create an organizational and individual resilience is an emerging, emerging field, not only of science, but also of management. And uh, I can encourage every leader who listens to this podcast just uh, to inform yourself about resilient leadership and uh, health resilience engineering, because it's really worth doing it. And also it, it strengthens your position as a leader because you will be regarded as somebody who's there for your staff, who, who really leads the staff, who takes responsibility for healthcare workers. So this will also help you in your role to become a good and very honorable and respected leader. And if I'm not in a leader position, uh, in a leadership uh, position, And if I'm a senior uh, professional, so I uh, want also to support the younger generation that is starting now their careers. And what can I do to support as a senior professional uh, and older one to help this uh, younger generation that is just starting uh, the, their career? Yeah, so, so I think it starts with the empathy for the younger generation. Of course, they are not as much experienced as I am. And it's not my, my thing to tell everybody, to, to show everybody that I'm the senior and I'm the experienced one, but to share my knowledge. And not only to share my knowledge about medical issues, but also to share my knowledge about possible mistakes. So when I was a senior anesthesia um, um, register, I also took my my younger my students and my younger fellows to say, well, I've made some some mistakes that could have gone wrong terribly. Of course, 
um, most of them uh, were, were, were slight mistakes and the patient was not harmed. So they were near misses, like critical incidents. And I shared also my knowledge about my mistakes, what I have done wrong in order to prevent them to do so. And I also told them, if you make a mistake, there are some people you can, can go to, you can talk to. And if you are overwhelmed by a situation, then speak up and then, then talk to us. Um, in order to get help. It's normal and it's okay to get help. And if you don't call for help as a young professional, it could also be regarded as a sign of, 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 of over, overconfidence, not of, of, uh, um, of, of a sense of professional. Because sooner or later, there will be a situation um, you cannot cope with, also a medical situation you cannot cope with. And if you call for help um, early enough, then nothing bad will happen. So, uh, and I think that is the spirit every senior uh, clinician can give to the younger ones to say, it is okay for help. And also, of course, to support them, to actively support them when they are calling for help and to be patient with them. Because a couple of years ago, you were in the same position. So I always try to treat the younger ones uh, like I uh, had wished to be treated when I was in the situation. So I wasn't treated in this situation in every time, but I always said, well, I'd, I try to do this um, uh, uh, the way I would would like to have been treated uh, before. So, um, and if you, if you just uh, uh, put this perspective, I think you can be most helpful to the younger ones as well um, to support them um, to get all this and to, 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 to gain the experience without making too much mistakes on their own. Thank you so much. And now in a more general way, uh, what are the challenges that younger generation is now facing in health systems and in healthcare organizations that clinical teams should look at? So uh, this is my question in a general way, of course. Yeah. So, so I think regarding the second victim phenomenon, the first and most important problem is that it is still a very uncommon, uh, common but unknown phenomenon. So I was, I, I said, six out of ten um, young internists and six out of ten nurses we asked were second victim traumatized. So the majority is traumatized, but only one out of ten doctors knows about the second victim phenomenon. In Germany, we now manage to integrate the principle of second victim phenomenon into the medical basic curriculum of doctors. So it, it will take a couple of years from now on until every graduate knows about the second victim phenomenon at all. So and if, if I don't know that this can happen and that I might get into trouble, then I'm overwhelmed by the situation much more likely than I'm, I'm prepared for this. Um, so a lot of doctors also the, the experienced one don't know about the phenomenon and don't know that there is sufficient and effective help available. Um, so this is one of the challenges. The other one is, of course, to implement such programs and to build up a network between peer supporters who are sensitized and sensible for this problem uh, and some um, psychological um, support units um, to, to that, that that those second victims who need extensive help can be referred to. So to implement this um, is very hard, but if you cannot create a culture that we all can say, it is normal to become second victim traumatized. It has nothing to say with you, uh, about your 
professionalism, about your skills, about your knowledge, about your ability to become nurse or doctor if you get traumatized. It's a common phenomenon and we can accept this, that we also are human beings and not only um, heroes. Um, if we can, can, um, can overcome this image of being always have to be a hero, um, then I think we, 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 we can make some real big progress in this. So I'm, I'm, from this point of view, I must say, um, this is one of the very, very, very few positive aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic, because now it's not a taboo anymore to, to talk about uh, being psychologically harmed or impacted by such a, an exceptional circumstance. So to recognize that it is normal that sooner or later everybody um, should talk to, to, to somebody and, 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 and seek for help um, in order to, to gain full psychological strength back. So I think these are the most important challenges and obstacles we have. And I think it's a development that will take years until we are there. But um, um, I think uh, right now uh, there is a good window of opportunity to, to speak up for this um, and uh, to, to recognize that we have to care better for ourselves. So I think we, care, we, we try to care as best as we can for the patients, but we really have to admit that we, as a profession in general, or as professions in general, we have to be better in caring for ourselves uh, in order to stay high performer. And I would definitely agree to you, we are a high performer um, um, in the healthcare system and we only can be can stay fit and high performing if we consider taking better care of ourselves. Yes, totally. Thank you so much. And um, now that you, you already told us a little bit about the curriculum, so in Germany uh, is already a reality to have uh, the second victim phenomenon topic in the curriculum uh, of healthcare uh, providers that are now uh, in university. And I, I, I don't know, are they just uh, in medicine, also nurses, uh, other uh, also health uh, professionals? What are the areas that... Uh, so, mm -hmm. yes. so, so to be honest, we, we have implemented this in the, the national catalog of learning goals in medicine. It does not mean that there's a ready-to-use curriculum in Germany for this profession. So there are some curricula for peer support programs that take place and that are implemented in, in, in hospitals right now. But I, we are still years away from having a nationwide curriculum of uh, teaching all healthcare workers and all professions about the second victim phenomenon uh, and about the, the possibilities to get out of any second victim traumatization. So um, they are slowly implementing this On, on the local basis in several curricula of healthcare worker curricula, but we are far away from having a statewide uh, national requirement in, in the curricula. So there are only some, some isolated activities, but those activities that were started either shortly before the corona pandemic or during and because of the corona pandemic, um, they are very, very promising to be implemented in a sustainable way. So my, my vision would be that in five years, um, this is be implemented in every medical curriculum 
and um, at, that the universities and the, the institutions training healthcare workers have started to, to systematically educate about this phenomenon and the strategies to prevent those traumatization and to help during such a traumatization. So um, the only sector in Germany I know that is kind of well organized is the psychosocial emergency support in the emergency healthcare system. So we know, of course, if something bad happens, a bad accident, for example, uh, with some, some casualties, um, we know that the emergency medical staff gets instantly traumatized by this maybe. Uh, and uh, also to, to break bad news, um, it's, it's, it's very good to, to have some psychological support for the, for the relatives, of course, for, for any victims. Um, so we have like a 10 year experience of this in the emergency medical sector and it's widely implemented the cycle uh, social emergency care um also during some 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 um, um, um catastrophes of a of a, of a bigger scale uh, like 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 uh, um, a mass mass in um, um, um incidents um, of, of of injuries uh, or of accidents um so I think we really could learn from the from this sector for the hospital sector what has been done and what are the the successes to to prevent um, those uh, people at risk from being traumatized. But to be honest, there's no systematic nationwide mandatory training of the second victim phenomenon or to prevent this right now in Germany. This is a vision for the next five years, and I'm very very happy that we have the European Researchers Network working on second victims, the Ernst Consortium, um, because we have the unique opportunity and chance to implement this all in Europe uh, on, on the same basis. And maybe we also can manage to have such kind of a basic European curriculum because it's principle, principally uh, not dependent on the healthcare system, but it's a human resources thing, a human issue. And as we are all the same, more or less, and we face more or less the same problems, uh, regardless whether we are in Portugal or Finland, in Iceland, in Turkey, in Belgium, in Germany, or anywhere else in the European Union. Um, I'm, I'm very confident that we can bring up a European curriculum by the Ernst Consortium that can be useful for every country in Europe and maybe uh, also abroad, because they all have these problems and they all have to, to, to do something about this on a systematic basis. And I think implementing those principles and the strategies in the medical basic training of all healthcare workers would be one of the best options um, to have big impact in a positive way about the second victim phenomenon. Thank you so much. And this is uh, um, a problem, as you say, that is global. And hopefully it will be in five years, as you, as you expect. <laughs> and of course, these this are just expectations because, of course, we, we never know it will be longer or even shorter. But uh, I think it's very optimistic uh, uh, the situation uh, and also the second victim phenomenon is now, as you say, in a window of opportunity. So I think we can be uh, hopefully <laughs> um, very uh, optimistic about this uh, this problem. Uh, so thank you so much. 
And also about the emergency uh, department, medical department, uh, I think and I hope that we can talk about this topic in other podcasts because, of course, this is something that is already much more um, supported in healthcare systems. So we can learn from, from this experience. So thank you so much for also bringing this And talking about bringing uh, things and uh, inputs to, to, um, to the healthcare, younger generation is also a new input for healthcare organizations. And what you think that, of course, they are uh, new in the system, they are probably more uh, fragile in uh, the, the healthcare system, uh, but they also can bring uh, new inputs. Uh, and what probably the healthcare uh, clinical teams can have from this uh, young uh, generation and for also the second victim phenomenon? Are they more aware? Uh, what, what are the inputs that they can bring? Yeah, so younger generation is a very valuable generation every time for the healthcare sector because they bring up the new perspective. They are not blind against some, some, some things you should question. And I think the, the actual younger generations, they question a lot more than, than I did in my generation. So in my generation, it was about making your career, working uh, until you get your career, and then you can, can do whatever you want. But um, To, uh, so, so, for example, the importance of a work-life balance, it's much more developed in the, the younger generations. And so you could argue that they, they can, cannot uh, stand the pressure or that they're weak, but I think it's a, it's a strength to question whether it's useful to work a 12-hour shift or a 24-hour shift or just to shorten these shifts, not because I'm not physically able to do so, everybody can, can, can be trained for this, but Of course, if you are at the end of, of, a, of a long and exhausting shift, you are not a high performer anymore. Not because you are weak or, be, or you're stupid, but because you're a human being. So questioning these, uh, bringing work, issues of work-life balance or life balance, so to say, um, into the focus um, and also bringing some new perspectives in this uh, is a very, very helpful uh, circumstance. So I can also encouraged uh, um, those of the younger generation to, to bring up their input in order to improve systems. Not, of course, to question everything because uh, it, it's old. There are some things in the healthcare system that should be maintained and uh, that are, they are well, well in place. But of course, there are some things we have always done in this way that should be questioned, whether it's not better to, to, to make a change uh, on, on one or the other aspect. So, I can also only encourage those uh, coming new to the system to, to, to uh, clearly uh, observe what's going on. And also if it's possible and if they are accepted to make their constructive suggestions on what to do in order to improve systems. And you need these fresh view uh, in, into the system in order to get improvement. So it's, it's very, very, valuable, not only that we have some, some hands uh, working on the patient, but also some uh, brains thinking about the improvement of patient care. And I think uh, there will be a lot of input from the young, younger generations that also can be beneficial for some, some senior clinicians uh, like you and me, for example. 
Okay, thank you. And now we are uh, starting, uh, we are getting to the end of our podcast. And can you just tell us what could be the challenges of the future healthcare systems? Now we are um, talking about the young generation that in 10 years, in 20 years, they will be the seniors. So can you talk about a little bit, just to, to end our conversation, uh, what could be the challenges of the future? What would uh, be also the healthcare providers facing uh, the second victim phenomenon in 10 years, in 20 years, just to have your perspective, of course. This is just talking about perceptions at this moment, just to close yeah. our conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think the biggest uh, challenge for the next 10 or 20 years in the healthcare system is to get the healthcare system sustainable, to have enough people who are highly qualified, top performers, as we said, and also who are uh, confident and healthy to stay in this job. It's not about generating more and more new stuff when, when, when a lot of stuff is dropping out, but to, to keep them healthy and confident in the system to work on the patient. So um, I think this will be uh, the, the most, most uh, challenging situation for the future. So those who are young right now and will become seniors in, in the near future, I hope, um, just to, to, to look at their leadership skills, at their role modeling skills, um, to deal with, with the situation, because uh, the so sooner as you expect, as you might expect, you are responsible for younger ones, and um, then they depend on your leadership qualities and on your role modeling. So I think um, this will be one of the biggest challenges, which requires a cultural shift, not to say um, the patient is the one who is ill, the doctor and the nurse is the one who is healthy, he or she has to do the job. And if he or she does make a mistake, um, the person is not qualified. So to have this, this cultural shift hint towards a high reliability culture that also recognizes that we are human beings. And I think this is the key um, in order to get enough people who are willing to do this responsible job, this demanding uh, profession, and uh, to stay there in this job healthy and confident in order to keep the healthcare system in general sustainably working. So... And I think the second victim phenomenon is key to this uh, global challenge we have. Uh, and every organization should address this as, as a key component in order to, to be sustainable uh, and to stay there in the, in the sector and in the system. Because right now, not only during COVID-19, also before COVID-19, the shortage of qualified staff that can be regarded as high performers, was the biggest issue of the healthcare system. It worsens during the pandemic, and it will still be there. And I think one of the things we cannot repeat off, as often as it gets, it's not the second victim phenomenon is not a COVID thing. It has nothing to do with COVID, to be honest. But it's a thing that we now can talk to, and it will exist as long as medicine is there. And uh, as long as you are in the healthcare sector as a young professional, um, you should consider this not with fear, but with professionalism uh, and with preventive measures and with supportive measures 
because the second victim phenomenon can be handled and can be treated if you are well prepared. So if you're well prepared and if the system is well prepared, I'm very confident that in the times I need medical treatment, I will get the same professional first-class medical treatment we can get right now. So uh, let's be confident on this, but let's work on the second victim phenomenon in order to keep our system sustainable and stable. Thank you so much for this great conversation. I, I really want to, to, to hand this conversation saying that, yeah, this is today a, a, a problem, a tomorrow problem, and it's not, it's not actually a problem, it's a reality because we are human and we are fallible. So it's, it's a part of our nature. So we are not robots, we are not heroes. So thank you so much uh, for bringing uh, these thoughts. Uh, our conversation, I think it was really helpful also for people that is now living uh, the second victim phenomenon uh, as uh, uh, themselves or a colleague or someone that knew uh, some situation. And of course, this is very, as you said, very often um, lived and experienced in healthcare uh, organizations. So thank you so much. Uh, I want also uh, to say that Dr. Heinart's study, it will also be in the description below of the podcast if you want to, to see some uh, more about the younger um, generation, the support uh, strategies for helping them. I don't know if you want now to, to add something, uh, Reinhard, about uh, other studies that people probably can see or uh, probably websites that they can also uh, visit for ha having more information about this. Yes, of course. So, so um, the first thing, of course, is to visit the Ernst website because we also have a repository of studies. Um, you can, can inform yourself about the second victim phenomenon. A lot of them are in open access. Um, I'm very happy to provide any research it about this, which is also published as an open access uh, um, resources. And, and also, if you have some further questions that are not answered by these kind of studies, um, I think it, it, it's no rocket science to Google my name, and I'm also very happy to answer emails regarding the, the podcast or regarding the second victim phenomenon afterwards. If there are some questions left uh, and I can help, I'm happy to do so. Thank you so much. And uh, just to highlight, because we start our podcast talking about the training school, uh, that the, it will happen face-to-face -face, uh, training school in October 2022, we will open a call uh, for uh, in 2022. So you also that are listening us can check the Ernst Action website that it will be also in the description of this podcast and follow all the news uh, in our uh, website. So thank you so much. I wish you a great, because now we are in the Christmas season and I wish you a great uh, Christmas. And I hope that, of course, we are now still facing a lot of issues and problems, uh, even though second victim, as you said, it's not related to, to COVID, but it's also part uh, of COVID reality. And now the, also the cases are, are rising in all uh, Europe. So uh, I hope that in uh, at least um, 
your family that now you are listening as uh, everything can be well in your work and I wish you all uh, the best for 2022. Thank you so much, Dr. Heinacht, for being present yeah. in our podcast. So bye-bye. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. thank, you very, thank you very much. Or as we in the German Coalition for Patient Safety would say right now, have you safe a merry little Christmas. Uh, and everybody listening, um, also have you safe a merry little Christmas. Get vaccinated, get boosted and stay safe and stay healthy. I hope to see you all in presence again in the next year. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And for you, see you soon and stay tuned. <laughs>